0: I I really have a lot of things running through my head, and uh, if I think of them, I'll pause and tell you. But other than that, uh, let's just pray and uh, jump into Hebrews chapter thirteen. Okay, Hebrews chapter thirteen. Well, Lord, we do. We come to you, and we're asking, Lord, for a fresh filling of your Spirit to both understand and uh, receive all that you have in your Word, and also, Lord than uh, to um, uh, teach it. And uh, as for all of us, we're praying that you'd give us the grace and resource and ability to go out and live it. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so, you know, on days like this, uh, when you've had such a week, you know, you're wondering uh, where can you go for answers. And uh, I think what you're going to see is that the answers are right here in the scriptures. So I'm just going to teach Hebrews 13, and we will talk about some of the circumstances surrounding this week and uh, what it means or, or what it means for us. And, uh, uh, but we're, we're going to dive into Hebrews 13 and, and, and uh, conclude this thing off or finish this thing off. This is a letter that's written to Hebrew Christians. Even I can figure that one out. And what's interesting about it is, you know, these are folks that have come out of the Jewish system of worship and a covenant that's called the Old Covenant, and we've been studying it for the last several months. And we've seen, haven't we, that Jesus Christ is supreme. If you were going to summarize Hebrews, maybe that's just what you would say, Jesus Christ Is supreme. He's supreme above the angels and above Moses. And he's supreme even over the great high priest under the old covenant because the old high priest, he stood up and could only enter into the Holy of Holies one time a year and was very foreboding to get to the presence of God and Uh, Guess what happened to the great high priest in the Old Testament? He died. But we serve a great high priest that's eternal. And really, what does a priest do? A A priest takes the hand of man. This is going to be hard for me to do this. You know that, right? He takes the hand of man and the hand of God, and he brings them together. And we are seeing... That Jesus Christ has done that in the most perfect of ways. Therefore, we don't need an earthly priest. We need Jesus, the great high priest, who, after he rose again, sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's not even standing, you understand? And we talked about that. He's rested in all the things that he's accomplished for us and um, on our behalf. Isn't that beautiful? And oh, by the way, he's in the presence of his Father, and now you, the Bible tells us, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit if you've surrendered your life to Christ. So, for ten chapters, we studied this doctrine, this theology, And it's beautiful to think thoughts of God. It is. It's wonderful. There's no higher and greater thing that you can do than study God, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to fill your mind with the thoughts of God. There's nothing greater. But guess what, folks? Guess what? Tomorrow morning, you've got to go to work or wherever you go, school. Or get the kids ready. Or do whatever. You got life coming at you. And for years, let's face it. and certain segments of Christianity, we've gotten what it means to be a Christian wrong. What do you mean? Well, we seclude ourselves. We get ourselves in a Christian cocoon and never come out. We... Associate with Christians. We only speak to Christians. We are scared if we're somewhere where Christians aren't. And the Bible never calls us to that. You know what I mean? Let me show you what I mean. This is going to be hard. This is really going to be hard. But anyway, turn with me to the 17th chapter of John. I just want you to see it for yourself. Go to the 17th chapter of John. Mm, I'm going to walk around, so I better not. Thank you, though. Thank you. Go to verse 14 of uh, John chapter 17. Uh, Jesus, in his great... uh, This is really the Lord's Prayer, folks. John 17. But anyway, he's praying uh, for his disciples and he's praying for all his believers. And in 14, he says this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then I got to tell you, he prays a really shocking statement to me. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one where? It doesn't say it here, but where? Right smack dab in the middle of the word world. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 10. As he sends out his believers, listen to what he says in Matthew 10, verse 16. Way different than a secluded life. Behold, I sent... Oh, I'm sorry, you're still getting there. Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> Therefore, be wise... Look, this is, this is what... This is what we should be today and always. About a virus. About sickness. About relationships. About the world. About... Uh, A view of life that comes from the Holy Spirit. We should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Jesus told us. I know sometimes you just want to stick your head in the sand. I feel like that sometimes. (laughs) But Jesus said that wasn't what I've called you to. I've called you to live in the world, but not... Lose your witness. You're to be very shrewd and wise and discerning. Like serpents. But still maintain a tenderness and a teachability and an empathy and a sympathy and a compassion. That's as tender as a dove. That's what I'm doing. That's what he's doing. And in Hebrews 13, see, the reason I took you there. Is because now he's going to tell you, okay? I've talked to you about doctrine. I've talked to you about not slipping back under the law for ten chapters, and then I gave you stories and pictures of of faith in the Old Testament, and in chapter that's eleven, and then in chapter twelve I gave you some tips about how now you are to run this race. For instance, get rid of the weights, the things that are weighing you down. Forget the things that are not eternal and run towards Jesus Christ. But here now, what should our life look like on a day-to-day basis? What should your life as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian look like? By the way, if you're not born-again, spirit-filled, your life won't look like this and have no eternal value. Just telling you what the Bible says. I don't say it out of any spiritual superiority. I say it, uh, and so do we say it, as a, a, a as a fellowship out of um, love for you. That the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, listen to this, he is our peace. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. We were once... In Ephesians 2, 13, we were far away. We were aliens. We were strangers. But now he's brought us close by his son, Jesus Christ. And what we're saying is, for one who's been brought and reconciled back to the Father, look at this. The writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, your life will be marked this way. Now, here's what's funny about it. A lot of us are going to say, oh, that's great, fantastic. I love it. It's such a great chapter. But I think what the Lord wants us to do is to hold it up and look in the mirror and ask ourselves, is my life on that trajectory? Is this anywhere that my life is? Listen. He starts out this way. He's now given us doctrine. He's told us about the supremacy of Christ. He's given us amazing faith examples in chapter 11. What a beautiful chapter. He's given us some hints and tips to run the race in chapter 12 so that we'll have hope. And now he's saying, here's what your life will look like. Here it comes. Let brotherly love continue. <laughs> you go, well, I have, of course. I do that. I'm a loving person. Really? Let brotherly love continue, which implies that we have in the body and in the body at large a love for one another. We're brothers. We're sisters. You see, these Hebrew Christians oftentimes would come out of Judaism. Which means they would be maybe, might be shunned by their family. And even, dare I say, hated sometimes. And so the love that they were looking for and seeking from a family has been, there's been a wall put up here for the people who are writing this, or that the letter's being written to. And they need love, they're hurting, they're struggling. We read today in Ephesians 3 that we are to be, as Christians, rooted and grounded in God's love, anchored deep in here. But when it's anchored deep in here, you then love out there. Like, if you've never sat with that person, or you've never sat with that person, or I've never sat with that person, or sat with them at a fellowship and talked to them and said, how you doing, guess what? Shame on us. Because the Bible says you're to continue in phileo, Philadelphia, brotherly love. She's from Philadelphia. So is John Kennedy. And they love Scrapple, so forgive them. But anyway. (laughs) But listen. Here's what love does before you start shaking your head. Oh, yeah, I do that. Oh, Okay. Love suffers long with people. Like, you know, when the guy across the aisle in the church is taking your seat. Come on, people, we can get in fights about where we sit in the sanctuary. Or or they just won't learn this thing that you want them to learn. And you're tempted in your flesh to say, forget them, I'm not... Here, the quality of love that is shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5 tells us, by the Holy Spirit, that love suffers long. All of your natural... Listen to this. All of your natural thoughts and feelings are when somebody's an irritant to you to leave them or get rid of them or get them out of your life. And the Bible says you continue in brotherly love even when they're irritating you. They, you suffer long with people. And then look, folks, just do this. Please just do this. Be kind to people. Here in the, in the sanctuary, downstairs, be kind. Ask the Lord to tell you what kindness is. Kindness is listening. You, you know one of the most unkind things is Always talking about yourself. I mean, of course, if you have needs, the Lord says do it. Bring it to other people. Confess your sins one to another. If you don't feel great, great. Tell people you don't feel great. Get prayed for. But, you know, you don't always have to talk about yourself. One of the greatest things in being kind is sincerely seeking how the other is. With a smile and a countenance that's warm and accepting. And if you're a person that struggles in that area because you're an introvert or whatever excuse you blame it on, ask the Holy Spirit to do that in your life. To be kind. To be kind. That's loving people. Hey, how about not envying others? You say to yourself, well, I don't do that. Oh, really? Okay. Wait till uh, the pastor picks somebody for this ministry and you don't get picked. Or the leadership team picks somebody for this ministry and, no, they never thought of you. Or how about if uh, you forget to uh, uh, announce your announcement? Or how about if the pastor forgets to uh, 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 thank you? You were in the cleaning team and, you know, he named nine people but the tenth person he forgot. How about that? Or, Or whatever. How about somebody gets a bonus and you don't? Love doesn't envy. Envy will eat you from the inside out. Love doesn't do it. It's not puffed up. It's not prideful. Oh, my. It means not always having to be right and win the argument. Okay, we know you know all the theology. Fantastic. How about love somebody? It doesn't parade itself around. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. Oh, my. It's not provoked. You getting that? Love doesn't get provoked. You don't yank anybody's chain when you love somebody. It thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures. Listen, endures, hangs in with people, even when they're jerks or even when you've been a jerk. It never fails, or it never fails. And, you know, you could do all these great spiritual things in the church, it goes on to say, but if you don't have love, you, you got nothing. <laughs> you know, when you die, right, unless the Lord comes, I got news for you. Unless the Lord comes in the rapture, I got news for you. You're going to die. So am I. And when they write my tombstone or your tombstone, do you want them to say he could give a 15-page paper on Arminianism versus Calvinism? <laughs> or, or do you want to, to say he laid it or she laid it all out in love? What would you rather say? Here the Lord says, continue in brotherly love. And then he says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this writer who I think is Paul, maybe you don't, that's okay, be a Berean. Don't forget to entertain strangers. That's a weird way of saying be hospitable. That's what the word means. It actually means friend, be a friend to strangers. It actually has this word put together like fear strangers. Like In other words, make people strangers, not strangers anymore. You get that? Don't be a person who's always meeting strangers because when you meet a stranger, they become a friend. You get it? That's what this phrase means. It says this, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, what does all that mean? See, what happens to a born-again Christian that the love of God is poured out in their hearts? Listen. I want to tell you something. Here's what modern America thinks hospitality is. The Martha Stewart magazine. What they believe is this, and what some of us can get caught in a trap of is this. I got to get my home swept and cleaned, and then I need you to go out and get those placemats that I told you I wanted you to get last week, and we're going to bring out the best china, and we're going to make this thing, and then we're going to pay... We're going to take this picture with this white background. And if the, uh, you're going to, I'm going to make sure I approve the picture because that picture is going to go on Instagram and it's got to make the other pictures that I have, Instagram, you know, it's got to be in line with those. And then when that happens and I get it all set, then maybe listen to this, I'm going to invite over some friends. And we think that's hospitality and that's nothing what this word means. Nothing. What this word means, it's rooted and grounded in who God is. What do you mean by that? Well, if you would turn, although you don't have to, I'll read it to you. But if you would turn and and were reading the great book of Leviticus, you don't have to, but I'm going to read this to you. And if you were reading the second reading of the law right before Anyway, if you were reading the second reading of the law, the book of Deuteronomy, you would see something about the Lord because he tells it to us. Leviticus, God's giving the worship laws to the nation of Israel. Listen to what he says in chapter 19. Listen to this. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. This is in Leviticus 19.34, folks the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you and you shall love him as yourself now do you know how dangerous it was back in ancient times when strangers were roaming the you know the <laughs> or walking around you were strangers listen why would somebody do this the lord says in leviticus 19 for you were a stranger in the land of egypt and here it comes here's the whole basis ready don't miss it. It's so elementary, but don't miss it. I am the Lord your God. That's what he says in Leviticus 19.34. Listen to this one now in Deuteronomy. You think the Lord has a heart for strangers? Ready? T- verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Didn't we sing that? Who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. Here it comes. Ready? he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now, listen to me. I'm reading off my phone here what I just read to you. In Ephesians 2, this side of the cross, guess who's strangers and aliens in this world to God? You are and I am. Listen, you're a stranger to the Lord. I am a stranger to the Lord before I've surrendered my life to Christ, and Christ has reconciled me back to the Father. You get it? You're a stranger. You're an alien. You're an enemy of God. And this has been the Lord's heart since the beginning of the Bible, or since the beginning of time, but you, you or even before that. He's always been this way. He's has a heart for strangers. And you're a stranger who've been brought close to the Lord and come into the family of God by the blood of Christ. Are you catching it? Now, what were strangers like in the time of Christ? You see it several places in the New Testament. Some have said, and some historians in describing what strangers, sojourners, were like in old Israel is that people would walk around the countryside and you know, well, you don't know because our trip got postponed, but you'll, you will know. It's very hot and dusty and dry in some spots, and in some spots, you know, it's farmland looking up in Galilee, very lush, but you, you need... What to live? Water and some food. And you're roaming around the countryside, and you're a stranger. And listen, some of the ancient historians write that strangers would go to the gate and just sit down and wait. And you, if you lived in that city, very important in Jewish custom was to go out to the gate and see who was sitting there that day. And you were worried because you didn't know, you didn't have criminal background checks, and you didn't have child clearance databases, but you would go there and you would vet the people. You would ask them questions. You would talk to them about where they're from, and then you wouldn't know them at all. And guess what would happen? You would then, because God had been so hospitable to the Israelites, you would take them and you would take them to your homes. And guess what you would do when they got there? Wash their feet. You would wash their feet and you would give them a place to sleep and you would feed them and clean them and make them feel comfortable or as comfortable as they can. And then, oh, by the way, if you read the ancient historians or some of the writings of the historians, there is some indication that the guests would have to leave before two nights. In other words, it was incumbent upon the guests, not the hosts, to not overstay your welcome. That's kind of where the phrase came. And that's how people got around. You got to remember, it's dangerous. It was dangerous out there. The inns were places of ill repute, if you know what I mean. You didn't know. And so in, in order to be safe, you would sit in that gate and hope and pray that somebody would give hospitality. Is it any coincidence that the word has hospital in it? And the Lord has been doing this since the beginning, since always. We read it in... in, in uh, 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 the Old Testament, I I read it to you. His heart is for the stranger, for the oppressed, for the ones who... Listen, listen to this, folks. Listen to this. For the one who can't do anything for you. Hospitality is not inviting over the important people so that they can see your magnificent table settings and eat caviar. That's showing off. There's nothing wrong with having friends, and if you like friends, great. But hospitality here, that this one is talking about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling you don't forget people who can do nothing for you to bring them in and make them feel comfortable. Are you catching that? Now listen, you're all shaking your heads. But I believe what this is selling you is. This means people who don't agree with everything you agree with. Or believe everything you believe in. Or look or smell. Or earn what you are or earn. Ones who have fallen into rough times or have gotten themselves into something they shouldn't have gotten themselves into. Why do I think that? Because God did it for you. And when I think about what he did for me, the worst of all, the polite guy who never wanted to do anything for anybody, just wanted to see what I could get from somebody else. And if I couldn't get something from you or he couldn't have something for me, I would politely just get you out of my life. A guy with that kind of attitude and that kind of heart, which is really insidious and gross and sick, he would send his son so that I'm no longer a stranger to him, but I'm actually in his family. So before we start to understand do not forget to entertain strangers as hospitality under the Martha Stewart litmus test, think about what it really means. It means this, you know what blesses my heart more than anything or one of the most blessed things I hear every once in a while. When somebody says, oh, yeah, I had Ernie or Gertrude or somebody over for dinner on Saturday night. You just go, yes, Lord. That's it. Somebody I didn't know prior, I, I asked them to come out and do this. And one of the things we should be doing here is is, is loving each other in a brotherly, sisterly way, continuing with people, really loving under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then entertaining strangers. You, you, you know what God's doing right here? Listen to this, folks. He's building his kingdom right here. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. The country's divided 50%, or whatever. You can give me other statistics. I don't care. But you know what I mean in thought life. Just go on the two networks and watch. Love, 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 love everything administration's doing. Hate, 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 hate everything administration's doing. And it doesn't matter. It can be a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't matter. It just switches. (laughs) It's the same thing every night. If you're watching it, you're driving yourself mad. And so 50% of the people in the United States don't believe, whether you're in this one or this one, don't believe what you do. And here's what this verse is saying. Have them over for dinner. They're strange to you or me. But in order to, I just got to tell you this. (laughs) My my best friend-in-law, He doesn't believe anything I believe zip nothing if we get on a conversation that's outside of what we're doing uh at work, he works for a different law firm we don't agree on anything he in fact he loves Florida football that's how much i And the Lord has blessed me to be a friend with him. And when I see him at the depositions, I don't avoid him. I go sit with him. He doesn't avoid me. He comes sits with me. He knows everything I stand for. I know everything he stands for. I guess what I am blessed to do? Just keep loving him. And hopefully he loves me back. And when there's times that I get to share, I share. And when there's not, I just love him. Don't forget to entertain strangers. For by doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. What does that all mean? Well, this undoubtedly is a reference to Genesis 18. Abraham entertained three folks. And it turned out that one of them was the Lord and two of them were angels. And what this is saying is you're missing the blessing. Look, folks, if you just want to associate with people who believe like you do, look like you do, act like you do, think like you do, say like you do, you're totally missing the blessing. Well, remember, there are also prisoners... Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated. In fact, some of these folks uh, who uh, this letter is being written to, you know, could have been hauled off and would have, uh, 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 some rough things would have happened to them by the establishment, whether they were prisoners or not, who knows. But the Bible tells us, didn't, didn't Jesus tell us, when I believe he's speaking about the last days in Matthew 25, he's saying, don't forget to give me a cup of water, or give people a cup of water who can't even drink for themselves. Don't forget to give people some clothes. Don't forget to give people some food who need it. And when you've done that, You've actually done it for me. Do you remember that? Well, here's what he's saying is, find the oppressed people. Find the ones who are in bondage to sin and can't free themselves. Find the ones who might even be physically behind the bars, who could do nothing for you, nothing for you. And those who are mistreated, find them, widows and orphans. Because you yourselves are in this body also. You're part of the body of Christ. We're building community. When you see somebody out on the cusp of the community that's struggling, go get them. When you see somebody that doesn't know the Lord and is in jail or in prison or oppressed in some way, go find them and listen to them and be kind. And, and, and by this... building up the body. You see it? And then he throws this in. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, remember, these are the marks of the body of Christ. We are to stay pure as we're preparing ourselves for if the Lord brings us into a marriage, of course. But here also, remember, at this time, there were a lot of Religious people who said that marriage was evil, and so they would actually castrate themselves and live a holy and pious life. And this guy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, no, 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 hold on here. Marriage is honorable among people, men and women. And there were other people who would say, oh, even if you're not married, you know, the body is evil. And so, therefore, you shouldn't have sexual relations. No. Here, do you catch it? What he, uh, why he puts this in here, I'm convinced, is he's saying marriage is honorable. It shouts the gospel out to all the nations, and it builds community. You get it? There's something h- higher and greater in your marriage than just, she looks good, he looks good, we love each other, let's have fun and post great pictures on Instagram. There's something greater and higher. When Zach and Gwen get married, the Lord is going to be shouting the gospel from their marriage. He's going to be pointing people there. That's what it's like between a bride and a groom. There's something bigger involved in a marriage, and your marriage is honorable. It is. It's beautiful, and we're not to defile it, and you know this. You could go to several different places that talk about those who practice sex outside. Did did you hear what I said? Practice it and thumb their nose at God on sex outside of marriage or uh, uh, adulterous affairs. You could go and read in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 about a final judgment for those who have chosen to live that lifestyle as opposed to a lifestyle honoring God. What should we be teaching our kids about abstinence? Not so much don't do it, but why we should honor God with our bodies. It's a big difference. We're honoring the Lord. It's honorable. It's honorable to Him. And then here it comes let your conduct be without covetousness. I'm just amazed that the the Holy Spirit would throw this in. It just seems so like such a minor issue. (laughs) And yet, this is the most major issue at the forefront of all Americans keeping up with the Joneses. Man, my house doesn't look like their house. How come, Lord? I'm the pastor. I went to 50 Bible studies this year. He only went to 48. And on and on and on we go. And what happens when we compare is a root of bitterness, last chapter told us happens. Root of bitterness gets in our heart and then just slowly destroys us. It, it destroys, listen to this, it destroys community. It destroys the body. Why, why did the pastor ask him to do the announcements, and he asked me to clean the toilets? Why did the leadership group ask her to be in charge of the women's study, but I have to come and set up chairs? You see, when we start to think that way, we're coveting positions. And we could get jealous, and the Bible says grace sees none of that. Grace performs Or grace doesn't have to perform. He's performed it all. We just respond back in love to a Lord who loves us. Anything that we do, we just do it as unto the Lord. So let your conduct be without this covetousness. I can't even say it. Covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. Whatever the Lord's given you, be a great steward with it and be content. Is it wrong to work and get a paycheck and get a bonus? No, of course not. But when you... Let your possessions possess you, you've, you're in trouble. If you can leave, let go of your possessions, fine. If you can let go of your position, great. But when you can't let go, you've created an idol. Be content with these things. Because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, that's really interesting to me. What protects you against covetousness? Knowing that the Lord has you. <laughs> you don't have to have the house like them. You don't have to have the car like them. You don't have to have the expense account like them. You don't have to have the same position. The Lord has something for you that's perfectly for you. How beautiful is that? He won't forsake you nor leave you, even if you're lonely. So we may boldly say, we can say it, we can say it. And we do say it. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right? What would we fear? Hey, listen. Let's say, God forbid, I got the coronavirus today and died. Let's just be frank about it. I don't want to die today. But if I did die, I'd be with the Lord. How perfect and wonderful. And I would know that my family is coming. How wonderful and perfect I'd be with the Lord. I could be singing these songs all day to him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It would be so perfect I'd be preoccupied in prayer and praise. I wouldn't be sad. I'd be with the Lord. How can anyone say, I'm scared. The Lord is my helper. I am. Will not fear. Remember, he says, those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Remember, there are three things now he's going to tell you to do about your leaders in church. Remember them. You don't have to feel sorry for me. But listen, you know the leaders of wherever you go to church. You know what they're doing. They care for you. They love you. They're working hard so that you can worship the Lord and get close to him. And sometimes the leaders in the church, look at this, have to say hard things to you. And it's a weird place to be because you know that old saying when you were a kid, I'm not the boss of you? Well, I'm kind of not the boss of the people in my fellowship, and yet the Lord has put Me over a flock of people as an under shepherd, a first servant. And sometimes I have to say hard things, but I'm trying. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what the Bible tells me to do. Speak the word of God to you and get you to understand it so that you can go live out in the world independently. I'm trying to get you to submit to God, not submit to me. But in the middle of that, he says, remember those who have ruled over you. Not ruled, but but been, been the leader over you. Remember them, who've spoken the faith, whose faith you're following. You do, in a sense. You see how the Christian life is lived in people, and you follow that. But you ultimately follow the Lord, not the pastor or the leaders. You follow the Lord. But you do see how people live out their Christian life, right? I mean, we're no dummies. We see how it's lived out. And hopefully, the pastor is giving you Christ, and the leaders are giving you Christ, and then following the Lord. And you can consider the outcome of their conduct. But when they make a mistake, and they do, (laughs) there's nobody that's a leader of a church that's infallible. When they do, listen to this. Don't be crushed because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the one you want to build your life on, not the pastor. Or the leaders. Don't hey, another thing, don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines. Don't be don't go around with various and strange doctrines. It's good that your heart be established by what? Listen, listen. I know you're tired. I know you're hot. But you want your heart to be established by reading the Bible and praying and giving money and being the person who sits up front. Sorry, Raymond. I'm kidding. Raymond doesn't. He's a nice young man. Cade. I'll pick on Cade. <laughs> but the heart's established, built, grown, founded on Grace. And grace is not just, you know, we think grace is, oh, Cade stabbed some guy in the leg today. Who cares? It's okay, Cade. I know you didn't mean it. You were tired. You didn't get enough sleep. We think that's what grace is. That's not what grace is. Grace is powerful, transforming. It teaches you to obey godliness. It it transforms you. And grace is where we're established. But grace is all because of God's resources, not yours. You just plug into them. And that's what you're established by, and it's not foods which you've not profi- or not profited. Those have been occupied with them. It's not what you put into your body that counts or don't put into your body that counts. You're not going to come closer to God because you eat something or you don't eat something. Now, if you're convicted to do that and it helps you worship the Lord, do it. But you're not going to come any closer to God because we've known that the cross and his resurrection is all you need. That's all you need to come close to God. It then says, what should our lives look like? Well, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. What does that mean? Well, look at this. It says a little later on in verse 15, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice. The altar where we serve is Jesus. He's the conduit now. He paid the price. We don't have to. Look at this. There's no altar here. There's no altar. You're not going to go in some back room and find an altar. You don't need an altar anymore. All you need is Jesus, who is our altar by the cross and his resurrection. You don't. You don't have to eat or not eat because the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. If you knew Leviticus, and I know every one of you do, you would know that there are different offerings. And one particular offering is called a sin offering. And that sin offering was required to go outside the city of Jerusalem and be burnt totally. Couldn't eat any of it. And we know, therefore, Jesus, verse 12, also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. In other words, that sacrifice of all those years ago in Leviticus was a picture pointing to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who paid for your sin once for all and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. You get it? You see why this is so supreme? Hold on now. I got something for you. I see some yawns. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp. We bear his reproach. We identify with Christ. We are like, oh, you say lose your life to gain it? We say, oh, he says, oh, you need to be a servant to be great in the kingdom of heaven? You need to be a person who is going to get reproached? because of what you're going to believe and trust and whom you're going to trust you say that's exactly what i'm saying <laughs> i'm not afraid to identify with the lord which is an outside the gate life for we're here we have no continuing city like jerusalem but we seek the one to come the heavenly jerusalem therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise we don't have an altar There's nothing that needs to be sacrificed anymore, but now we live a life of response to the gospel. And the things in which the Lord tells us we can do to give back to the Lord is give your whole life, Romans 12, 1 and 2. It also says you can give your material things. Philippians 4.10, but here it says that your thanksgiving, when you're singing up here on Sundays or in your car or at home, is a sacrifice of praise. And don't forget then also to do good and to share, be a hospitable person, for with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. What are you to do? I, look, folks, what do you do in the middle of the coronavirus? The same thing you did when there was no Coronavirus. Go find people who are scared, lonely, hurting. You don't know. They think differently from you. They look differently from you. And bring them in. And love them. By the way, here he goes on and he tells you another thing you do with your leaders. You obey those who rule over you. And that sounds really weird. I even have a problem reading it (laughs) here in front of all of you. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. Yes, you're submissive to a point, of course. You honor those who are, are leading over you in the spiritual things, but don't get mixed up in some weird cultish shepherding thing where the guy's telling you who to marry or the gal, you know, people are telling you who to marry and where to go and what to do. No, you and the Lord and your family pray and enter in, and we are here to help you navigate those things and be leaders in those things, but not to lord it over you. And that's what you should do. But but listen also folks when somebody in the leadership of the church you're at knows you're in a fight with somebody and they say you know you really should go say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness and they say nah not doing it or you know you're you're living with that girl and you're not getting married and you're running all around town with the other girls, you know, you you should stop that. See, that's what we're here for. And people get that mixed up, and sometimes we have to come and say, so let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I always wonder when I read that. How do you leave people? Always grieved or joyful? Pray for us. That's another thing you could do for the leadership. Pray for us that we are confident that we have a good confidence in all things, dishonoring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. I think Paul's writing that. Maybe not. Be a Berean. But here's the part I'm driving to for this week. Now, may the God of peace who brought, you, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead That great shepherd of the sheep, isn't that a a beautiful way of saying it? It's funny, that's like a backhanded, what's the opposite of compliment? What's that? Insult. That's like a backhanded insult there. He is the great shepherd, but that means you're a sheep and so am I. And guess what sheep do? Dumb things. (laughs) And sometimes they wander off, and sometimes they have no idea what's good for them or bad for them. And he, here he's saying, Look, listen to this, folks. He's the God of peace. Some of us in here today and always need peace. The Bible tells us that perfect peace is given to those whose mind is stayed on you, Lord You can have peace with God, the Bible tells us, by the blood of Jesus Christ, and have the peace of God. And what does it all stem from? It stems from the fact that there was a blood covenant that's eternal. Read the rest of it. The great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. There's this blood covenant he made on the cross And he'll make you complete in every good work to do his will. That's because he rose again and now comes to live in your life. And he's guiding you and directing you and empowering you to live a life that you could never live. To do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Here's where perfect peace comes, starts and ends. It's by knowing that you're a sinner. Oh, that's weird. (laughs) that's perfect peace. Knowing you're a sinner that needs a Savior and that the Lord came and paid the penalty for your sins and didn't just stay in the grave. He died, paid the curse of the law, but now defeated everything in the law, rose again, and now that perfect righteousness can come to live in your life. And he comes and lives by the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that means if there's a coronavirus or a stock market crash or a F on a school paper or a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or a death, which are, are hard things and very difficult, listen, they can't destroy our peace. Here's why. Because He is peace you catching that? He is peace. May the God of peace who brought us up from the dead. You, for those who are in Christ, you've gone from dead, death to life. He died for his sheep. He lives for his sheep. And he's coming back for his sheep. He says here, doesn't he? I appeal to you, brothers, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. That's funny, isn't it? You feel like that's a lot of words. But you could read this way under an hour. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see if he comes shortly. Greet all, look, look at this. Here's another thing you could do for the people who, who are leaders in the church. Greet them. No bitterness towards them. I've had people come up and apologize to me. It's okay. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm glad they did it because I say a lot of stuff up here. Sometimes I make a mistake. But I say a lot of stuff up here, and sometimes the Lord uses his word, and he convicts people when it hurts. It stings. I've had people come up and say, you know, I've been holding bitterness against you because you said, you know, whatever. You can do that with your leaders before you even know it. Here he says, don't hold that bitterness. Greet them. Yeah, you have a different view on something. You have a different view on something. Okay, you've got a different view. Or he had to tell you or somebody had to tell you something hard. Okay, greet them. And all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Well, that's the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to ask the folks to come up and lead us in one more song. And here's what I'm going to ask you. If you've never given your life to the Lord, or you have no idea whether you're going to heaven or not, or you're not sure, you're going to sing this song, but I'm hoping it'll be way more than a song. It'll be a conviction of, you, you'll be convicted. The Lord will tug on your heart, and you'll come up afterwards and speak with me. And we can pray together, and you could know today that you're going to heaven. Hey, do me another favor. Somebody important in my life is missing. (laughs) The poor thing has shingles. (laughs) And uh, she even has it in her eye. So if you could pray for her, that would be fantastic. And uh, even as I uh, do this here, Uh, you know what that means other than, you know what it means? I've been the best customer at Parody and Rob's Diner for the last two days. (laughs) I think I've been in there ten times. No, I'm kidding. So uh, pray for her, would you guys? And uh, we're going to pray tonight. The president has declared today a national day of prayer. Uh, We're going to pray tonight at 7. You're welcome to come. Uh, If you can't come, put your prayer request in the box and we'll pray over it. Otherwise, uh, God bless you. Here, I'm going to pray. Lord, thanks for today, and uh, thank you for these people and their hearts to know you. And I just ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work. We wouldn't just go out and forget these words, Lord, but that we would be touched. That you would do something in our hearts here today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says, amen. Amen.